Hello and welcome to another episode of Good for Profits, the podcast where we speak with founders, entrepreneurs, ecosystem leaders who are building profitable businesses that are also good for the world, good for humanity as a whole. Uh, I'm your host Mo and we're very much trying to coin the term good for profit here at the podcast. So just like you have the not for profits, hopefully good for profits will be a term that also get thrown around in the future. So help us on that mission, spread the word. Um, Today's guest with us is Sarah Roberts. Um, Sarah is the CEO at Healthy Nibbles. Um, Healthy Nibbles is a company, sort of what it says on the tin, they provide healthy snacks and healthy nibbles for people instead of the crappy stuff that we usually get in vending machines in our workplaces and in hospitals and so on and so forth. Uh, they've been going from strength to strength. The company's been around for a little while now. It is a company that is involved with vending machines, logistics, um, actually the food and the snacks and everything, the, the food and beverage industry. So it touches on quite a few different industries, quite a few different areas. As you can imagine, there's a lot of challenges that come with that. And Sarah goes into uh, some detail around how she's dealt with some of those challenges, how she's gone around team building and so on. So very interesting, very insightful conversation. But we also got to dive deep into Sarah's history. Um, her first thing ever was uh, like one of the, the first sort of main gigs that she was working on was working with businesses out in sub-Saharan Africa and how the culture over there uh, was functioning, how we had a lot of different types of people from different parts of the world coming together and forming businesses and how they gave back to the community there as well it was very interesting. And she's learned a lot of lessons from that that she's brought on the way as well as from other experiences. And now she's bringing all of that into Healthy Nibbles uh, who are now closing in on their Series A round, which is very exciting for her. Um, but we also touch on, you know, why she started the business and and, and the story behind that. Um, Sarah's take on team building as well and choosing the right kind of investor are also quite interesting. So definitely look out for those. Um, so yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I'm, I hope that you will enjoy it as much as I did. But before we dive in very quickly, as you can see, we're now doing things a little bit differently with Good For Profit. Previously, we were just doing audio formats. Now we're doing audio and video, and we're also going for a slightly longer, uh, longer format. The reason why is because I found that in previous episodes that I'd recorded with other incredible guests, ones that went on for a bit longer for sort of like just past the hour mark, were the ones that we usually managed to dive a bit deeper into getting to know the person behind the business. And I found that very rewarding for me, but also I'm sure it'd be rewarding for the listeners too. So decided we're going to go slightly longer format from now on two, three hours, not really going to put a, put a mark on it, but don't worry for those who are tight for time, we'll also be releasing uh, shorter snippets, summaries of the key bits, the key nuggets around, whether it be raising funds or whether it be team building or whatever, so that people out there who are also building startups, whether they're startups that are good for profit or not, I'm sure they will benefit uh, just as equally. And hopefully they'll be convinced to turn it into a good for profit business on the way. So, Without further ado, this introduction has been long enough as it is, uh, so we'll get into the, the episode, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sarah Roberts. So, hello, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm really good to be Delighted to be here. Looking forward to having the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, likewise. It's, uh, this is actually our first ever one that's going to be mm -hmm. video and audio, um, so something that people will love very much. Um, not to put you under pressure or on the spot or anything. <laughs> Um, but no, it's, uh, I'm sure you're used to this now. I've seen that you've done quite a few podcasts in the past as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really just a really good opportunity to sort of like share the journey and all of those experiences that we all go through as founders. 
Absolutely. And multiple time founder as well. So not, not only it's not your first time going through the founder journey, right? No, it's not, but it's very, very different. Um, the previous businesses have been very service driven. So okay. the biggest challenge I found, find in that is if, if the business crashed, if, so, if, if your main client crashed, you can sort of essentially lick your wounds in a cafe and rebuild very easily. I think with this business, there are so many moving parts because um, you've got sort of logistics. We're developing a tech arm. So there's just so much going on all the time um, wow. that it is a totally new experience in some ways. So, yeah, but each have their own their own quirks. Yeah, OK, that's that's interesting. So, um yeah, with with the service driven stuff, I've worked with service driven companies before and kind of service businesses and. I don't know which one I prefer. I, th- I think I, w- I would argue that I actually kind of prefer the startup side of things because it's a little bit more, it, it's definitely tougher. It's much, much harder. And, and like you said, with service-driven stuff, you have the opportunity to go and pick up any new clients at any point because kind of, you know what you're delivering. But yeah, there's just so many, there, there, is, there are equally as many moving parts in some ways because there's people that need to be involved and actually deliver, deliver the service and get things done. Um, and sometimes it can be tough to pick up the new clients. Mm-hmm. And if you're relying, and a lot of service businesses will have this problem when they're relying on a lot of their income from one or two main clients. And if one of those clients goes, then you know it can cause a lot of problems yeah. for them. Totally agree. So my previous yeah. businesses were very much connected to um, event management and brand um, insight. So brand, oh. brand semiotics, which is essentially how consumers create meaning with brands, what connects them emotionally to the very few brands that that as individuals we actually connect ourselves to. Um, And yeah, there is always that dilemma, that excitement when you get a very large client, um, but equally so that threat that if they did move and you're at the various stages of growth, then essentially they could wipe out a significant portion of your revenue. So that is probably what I found the biggest challenge. It's also very people dominated. So um, being able to replicate what you're doing as an individual and try and make sure that the team around you have that same sort of DNA and approach to clients um, was crucially important. Um, I built the business internationally as well. So we had all of those different dynamics. So it's based in sub-Saharan Africa, um, which has lots oh, of different cultural differences. Of course. Um, so which business was that? Sorry? Uh, which business was that? So that's a um, was a brand agency called Visagy. So okay, very interesting. And is there a noise, background noise, by the way? Or are you okay from my side? No, I think I think we're good. I can't hear anything on this side. Okay, awesome. There is a bit of background noise right now, and so yeah, I, th- I thought it might be from uh, from here. Um, I'm surprised at how amazing tech is these days because there's definitely quite a bit of noise happening right now that will go away very soon. Um, so, <laughs> um, it's sub-Saharan Africa. So I'm, I'm actually originally Egyptian. Um, so my, I was born in Egypt and I arrived to the UK when I was 12 years old, uh, on a, on a boat and I'm, it's on a plane. This is part of my, my stand-up sketch that I'm trying to practice. Uh, <laughs> uh but no, I, I arrived, I actually came to the UK when I was 12 years old. Um, and, um, it, it, yeah, so I kind of grew up, spent most of my first years of my life between Egypt and Saudi Arabia between the two. So I've got a fairly good understanding of the culture over there. And I do definitely understand that it's very different over there 
compared to here. Not as much anymore. Things are definitely changing and, and moving around in that way. Um, but it, it probably would have been a bit more different as well, sort of a little bit further back in time. So what were some, what were some of the main challenges that you found, I suppose, like when you were kind of working across two very different sets of cultures like that? So I think first and foremost, when we came to set the business up, we, we established the business in um, Nairobi. Okay. Um, and I think just in terms of setting a business up, it's very much based on you need to know the questions that you need to ask to get the answers. <laughs> so, okay. Which can be a bit in a brand new culture. Um, so that was quite interesting. It took about three months to actually get the business set up over there. Interestingly, somebody said when um, sort of the businesses here know that you're not a two-year wonder, essentially linked to the sort of expat community and the sort of ambassadors that tend to do these sort of one, two-year circuits, they said, then they'll take you seriously. It was absolutely crazy. It was almost two years to the day that we started to get the more sizable clients. So I don't know whether there's rhyme and reason in that and whether that is true, but it was certainly an experience that we had. Um, I think something that really stood out as a difference for us was a tribal element within Kenya and the culture. So in the UK, I guess you could liken that to a county issue but actually you would never really get a county not communicating with another county. But we did have undercurrents of that in the very first days until we started to sort of get our heads around what that meant, as particularly as sort of leading tribes that tend to be politically in power or tend to be strong business um, leaders. That was quite an interesting sort of Challenge, yes, but more of an experience, just understanding the dynamics around that. Um, I think related to the wow. work, the difference was intellectual property. It is just not taken seriously. So you would see, I don't know, Virgin Cafe or something with a, a copied logo type thing. And there's just like, that's just really cool and creative. Right. It's like, no, it's actually plagiarism, but we'll go with it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but technically it's okay isn't it, in some way. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like, okay. Wow. Um, and also I think for me what really stood out was I can be quite sort of, I guess in some respects quite direct and just get on with business. The element of culture that I found really interesting in Kenya is they want to know about husband, dog, cat, family, and they want to do all that first. So you can't rush it. <laughs> so, and... That was really interesting because I was quite a close, essentially yeah. at that time I was I was fairly young and I was also quite a closed book. So asking me what my family mm. was doing, it was like, really, it's none of your business. <laughs> now, now, obviously I've matured yeah. a long time since that. Um, but I do remember that whole sort of um, just really wanting to get to know who they were working with. And I understand from just people that I'm connected with, there's various countries in the Gulf that have that same sort of, they just want to get to know you as an individual and know that you understand their culture before the trade element actually takes place. So that was quite quite a, a sort of learning journey. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot when you suddenly go from, because yeah. I didn't have any experience of Kenya beforehand. Um, I kind of turned up there because my mum and dad have a charity. So my husband and I had essentially turned up had a look at the work they were doing. We'd gone for a holiday 
Um, and literally on the plane back over, we were at that point where we had an opportunity to do something different. My husband said, why don't we set the business up there? Mm. I was like, done completely. So in three weeks, we literally packed up an entire house in the UK and arrived back in Kenya with two suitcases. That was it. Wow. So God, that's a big, big decision to make over the weeks. space of a yeah. flight. Yeah. What, what one flight and then well with three weeks i'm assuming you were packing throughout the three weeks because that that in itself can take quite a while so yeah it was just wow. lots of little things that so happened that just made the journey really easy and then we just literally as i say turned up with two suitcases and um three weeks later and light pack set the business i like up. that and i think so <laughs> that whole sort of getting to know the culture whereas some people may employ somebody to support them in that or they may go over for a holiday frequently to the area and just sort of like do all these recce trips we didn't we literally turned up saying right we're good to go so so yeah it was it was an adventure so there was a lot of I think that first 18 Mm. months a lot of sort of getting to know what's actually going on out there and getting to know people and culture and how you work and how you don't work and what services are needed and how much of it is relevant from the UK to take across there that's brilliant. And I guess in a way as well, by chucking yourself into the deep end, it's just you kind of have no choice and you have to make it work, right? There, there's no, there's almost no turning back in a way. And you want to make sure that it's worthwhile your journey out there. You've left everything back home and everything. So in, in a way, it's kind of, it's a huge risk to take and a huge kind of leap of faith there. But at the same time, it, it's kind of, the, the, the other side of the coin is that, well, now you kind of have no choice but to make it work. And so that, that could work in your favor, I suppose. What, what were you actually doing out there? So we, we actually never touched on that. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about it? Visitor yeah, so Visitor right, is a brand working, uh, and yeah. semiotics agency. So we started very much around creating brand identity, marketing, um, looking at the entire communication strategy for businesses and how that aligned to their values. Um, more interestingly, or certainly the work that I found more interesting as we progressed over the was the engagement with companies that had um, multicultural boards and communication and values reflected when you have got, so one of our largest clients was one of the large flower farms over there and it had South African, Kenyan, American and British um, and Dutch actually um, directors. So, you know, that melting pot of Dutch can be typically known for being quite abrasive and short and direct to the point. Then you've obviously got the Kenyan in there that is, you know, they want to know your life story. So it's just how do you how do you move all of that together so that they're actually communicating effectively and how um, how is that whole sort of brand experience? So we looked at everything from when fair trade and Marxes came to do their audits. What was their experience of that sort of environment and that flower farm? So it was it was a really interesting work, and we worked across multiple sectors. But um, flower the flower industry was one of the strong the the, the ones that I enjoyed anyway. <laughs> so yeah, you really wouldn't think of Nairobi for flowers. It's actually Naivasha. So, so, so it's just me being yeah, it's naive, about, right? But, it's a, it's a place called Naivasha. It's about an hour and a half out of Nairobi, and Naibasha. it literally is sort of the heaven of flower farms. So it's brilliant. Wow, that's so cool. Kind of like the the views you get with Amsterdam or sort of the Netherlands rather. Is that the, the kind of uh, the kind of farms yeah, you get out there as well? Very, very large, um large hectare space, obviously. There's Lake Naivasha, so they've got a water source. Um 
but they just do so mm. much as well for that wider community in the area. So the, the farm in particular that we worked a lot oh. with had schools, hospitals, education programs, um, wildlife corridors, so cool. wow. all of those different things to really create a more sustainable ecosystem. And compared to where we are now as a sort of with my current company as a B Corp, that was actually really powerful. And that was, I guess, those driving thoughts that sort of fed into the journey and where I am now is just seeing all the all the different engagement yeah. pieces that they did. And they did it from the heart rather than a to-do list because they weren't going for B Corp or anything like that. They were, it, was, it was something that they wanted to create that community and culture that was safe and um, was able to support development and things like that. Yeah, it's incredible how that it, it's very much grassroots 100%. driven, right? It's very much from the bottom up as well. The, the, it's the farm is everybody on the farm is from some locality nearby, and it's kind of serving the community there. And it, it's just it's fascinating how that's the you know what B Corp and, and and that sort of thing is trying to achieve is very much that. Except that's that's kind of how things organically would happen anyway if you have a local community doing business and things like that. But maybe there's challenges that we now have we come across because of just we're such a global ecosystem now. And you have companies doing business all over the world in all different places. It doesn't matter. Borders don't matter anymore. So perhaps that sense of belonging to a specific community and being, you know, having grown up there and being from the from that village or from that city or from that town, it just gives you ownership in a way, I suppose, over everything that you're doing. Then, so you deeply care about it, and you naturally are going to go and ensure that everything around you in that region is going to be healthy. Everyone's happy. You're going to help the community as much as possible. But perhaps part of the thing here is that there's a bit of a maybe there's a bit of a detachment when you're operating globally and then you sort of establish, well, we have a farm in the Netherlands and we have a farm in Africa, but actually our headquarters is in, mm. you know, in the U S and, and we've never been to either of those places, but we operate there. So maybe that bit of detachment, it, it's sort of, the, that's where the support of something like B Corp and things like that can come in and kind of be like, okay, well, you know, let's look at this from the ground up and, and, and actually kind of look at how it would work if you were to do things locally there and try and replicate the same thing, I suppose. Um, or maybe not all farms are that nice and you were just an especially nice they group were, of people. They it were could very, be that very way nice um, and did create a very um, growing environment and nurturing environment. Um, mm. And I felt that it did, it, it reflected across all aspects because they have thousands of work in terms of the workforce. Um, but it was how they were actually looking at the, the actual land as well. So as I say, things like the wildlife corridors. So they, they were not building a farm, sticking it up there. This is priority. This is number one. And then you find that the native wildlife can't actually get to the watering hole that was originally there and things like that. So um, they had an element that impacted on tourism. So they had a couple of hotels, um, sure. fairly bespoke sort of hotels, but again, that participated in that sort of culture and environmental education way before I guess it was seen as being trendy on point whatever it may be um but it was just something as you as you say I think it comes from the heart and I think it we I'm trying to think sort of the similar environment I think probably from what I've seen and I don't really know depths of it so if you get if we get hunted down yeah. after this I'm sorry but things like where you see the, the sort of coal mining industry where it was all around a certain location right. so that when that was removed it impacted an entire culture um, or a subculture within within a local region over here or yeah. you know I kind of 
I can see a similarity that actually everybody in that environment or um, my dad was actually involved in um, production of fabric labels in the mills and things in Yorkshire. So there was an element there where you had a specific road that was all around sort of manufacturing and label development and printing and it was that again it was that mm. sort of where you would know the families were located so close to where they were actually working and they're involved in manufacturing so it it created that culture and I think that's probably the nearest that you can liken that experience to but certainly in the UK we obviously yeah. don't have schools and hospitals and things coming out of individual organizations because of the wider infrastructure but definitely you can see that sort of cultural similarity the belief in the local business which i think is something that we've got to try and capture in some way even though we're global businesses we've got to try and find that um that dna of the of the culture that we're working within that draws similar like-minded people to that organization even though we might be geographically spread much wider afield now yeah, it's really quite interesting. By the way, just before I forget, there's a really good Netflix series on this. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. No, on, I don't uh, think I have. On, oh, I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, but it's, it's a really good Netflix series on sort of like the old football association in the UK, how it's getting to be formed. And then it touches and all on how a lot of these, um, I think it's called The English Game okay. on Netflix. Yeah, that's the one, The English Game. And it touches on how, you know, effectively modern football came to be like leagues started getting formed and things like that. But it touched a lot on the fact that they were all tied to a lot of the, you know, mills around the, around those towns and, you know, different clubs represented different groups of people and so on. And, and it's really quite interesting because like it was effectively taking a break from work, from working at the mill, right. They would go and then play a bit of football together. Um, and then there were leagues formed around that and so on. And, um, I have to say, like, I, I never realized this was the case until I saw watch the series, which is kind of bad, I suppose, but at least be- better late than never. Um, so now when you mention this around, you know, the mills and the culture and so on, now I actually yeah. know what you're talking about because I, I've luckily seen the series a, a few months ago. Um, but yeah, it, it really is it really is quite an interesting one in that we kind of, um, we, we have sort of lost a bit of that kind of local mm-hmm. community-driven uh, approach to doing business and, 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 and fostering just kind of well-being as, as, a, as a whole society because, you know, it's so easy to be in a big city and have millions of people around you and be, each person be working on a very small part in a, in a much bigger thing. And in a way, you kind of don't have, you may not have that as much um, because also there's like huge infrastructure and everything's kind of catered for. So in a way, a lot of the responsibility for taking care of stuff is almost in some way taken away from the individual and done by the, the whole mm-hmm. infrastructure but when you're in the in those smaller communities and those smaller kind of um, towns or, or whatever, there, there is that very much sense of you know individual responsibility over what's going on around me and the land and everything and, and so on. Um, and it's fascinating because I feel like in a way we're moving back toward that to, toward that way of doing stuff, even though even though we still live in big cities and so on. But I feel like we're kind of moving back uh, toward that way of operating just just naturally because people are very much you know not you could say tribal but community driven kind of just we have that that are, we have that kind of innate thing to want to be part of a community and part of a have a sense of belonging with everybody around us um and it's tough to do that in a yeah. big city so you've got a lot of people kind of moving away to smaller towns and smaller smaller cities 
but at the same time, you've got things like, you know, Web3 now enabling a lot of communities to form online in different places. And you're now seeing it happen as well, communities being formed around a lot of different areas. Like, you know, you have like women in tech and there's a really cool community around that. And you have, you know, another community that's very much around whatever. And, and I think businesses are in a way realizing the power of communities and the power of having that, um, whether it gives back directly to the, to the land and to the, to the country or, or to the, to earth as a whole in any way yet, maybe still work in progress, but we're sort of getting there with, uh, with things. So anyway, we, we digress a little bit, but really interesting stuff. So you worked on that very early on and I kind of, I can see a bit of the, the elements of doing that very early on for you and I, whether by luck or by design, I can kind of see that that kind of stayed with you for quite a while then. And so different things you got involved with throughout your life and then moving into what you're doing now, healthy nibbles and, you know, going into the B Corp side of things, I can kind of see maybe where the inspiration came from, I suppose. Would you say that it was there beforehand and, and, and just you kind of cultivated it in that early experience? Or would you say that you kind of realized that this is something you really want to do in, in other businesses just through that experience? I think it's, um, I've never thought I would do a career swap in terms of, shall we say, branding to this, this type of organization. But certainly those very early days um, of being, of seeing that culture, the flower farm culture, but also in Nairobi, I was acutely aware of the juxtaposition between the extreme levels of poverty. I'm talking um, mm. places like Kibera, so you're under a dollar a day, the slums that are so vastly populated, sitting alongside some of the most affluent individuals in the country as well. And that to me was yeah. a stark um, sort of realization that this is, you know, I, I'm all for working your, you know, working your backside off getting the rewards, but part of the success is also being able to nurture other people and bring other people along that journey. It's not about an isolated you know, where, hey, I've made my millions, whatever it may be, and I've got a big house and a yacht, and that's it. It's it's very much about taking that community and the people that you're in touch with on that journey. So I think those two key things really stood with, stood out for me when I was in Africa. Um, it was a rather stark sort of, or should we say not stark, um, it was a very quick decision out of an event um, that took place that I ended up back in the UK and then the sort of, should we say the layering, it was a bit like layering of a cake almost. It was kind of like, so we had that as a foundations and then my dad got um, diagnosed with cancer and it was a lifestyle related cancer. Okay. So then you right, think yeah. ticking along in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, lifestyle related cancer. You look into that, you do all sorts of research as anyone who's ever experienced anyone with cancer knows. Um, Looking at that, and you think, my goodness, so you know, 60% of cancers are preventable if we just change diets and environments. Mm. So, what on earth are we doing? You know, mm. we're literally consuming our way to essentially what could potentially be an early grave, but obviously, that's not, not really a marketable campaign out there, is it? So, <laughs> that, that is, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't go down too well, work. yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was in the final days of wow. his life, actually, where I was in a hospital and saw. Mm. I was hungry. It was like three o'clock in the morning. There was nothing else to eat apart from the vending machine. Went to the vending machine, the usual oh, culprit. God, so you've got God. Coke, crisps, 
chocolate, all of that sort of stuff. Exactly. In, in so a, you're hospital in a hospital as well, setting. which is just so ironic. And then there's a poster next to it saying diabetes and obesity kill, which was kind of made me, it, it did actually the dark humor and it sort of did make me laugh at the time, probably with everything else that's going yeah. on around me. And I thought, this is yeah, just sure. ridiculous. You know, we're in this place where you're trying to nurture health. And then I remember walking back through palliative care and seeing the nurses who, at the point my dad died, I think it was two other people died within a minute of him dying on the ward. So that's just probably, shall we say, painting a picture of the stress that these nurses and professionals are under. And in their food sort of area where they, I think because we're on palliative care, you kind of get access to what they've got quite often. But it was chocolates. It was chocolates and toast because it was quick, simple things that they could eat in between all of these different things going on. And I just thought, you know, we're not really supporting our, our healthcare system if we're not providing decent food. They're being fueled on the chocolates, which are all the thank you gifts from all the sort of, should we say, the patient's relatives. And then you're also in a hospital, mm. which, let's face it, nobody's really there by choice. You are either career professional yes. under stress or you are there because there's something not right. But we just don't have an environment that really supports health. Um, so taking mm. all of those, should we say, late into the night thought processes then taking that experience into the work environment where you go into the, into a business meeting or a networking meeting and you've got bacon rolls and croissants for breakfast or after drink after sort of after work drinks very much centered around alcohol and socializing fueling coffee the usual vending machine and very yeah, sugary just, juices we and, just expect yeah. that high performance from our teams but then we're not actually providing the resources for them to do that and so that was the all of these wow. different things going on. And then aside from that, so some of the work that my parents did in Kenya was around HIV patients. And neither of my parents are nutritionists, mm. so there's no sort of medical background or anything. They found that by increasing access to eggs, spinach, um, kale, things like that, so increasing access to those healthy sort of whole foods that the HIV medical bills ended up going down for the people that they were working with. There's no research. I'm not making any great big claims around this, but sure, it was sure. just something from a group. There, there seems yeah, to be a correlation. A grassroots charity yeah. that's not supported by large organizations. It's just something that was personal to them. Yeah. And you see that and think, do you know what? Is there something in this sort of whole foods element? So that was a whole sort of, I would say that, that transitional time frame was probably about five or six years in total um but it was all mm. of these different threads that kind of aligned to a change and i had no idea what we we're entering into when i said let's set up a healthy vending company or indeed where we are actually now as a business wow. i had no no idea what it was going to take us on the journey that it has done but it's certainly been it's been a ride <laughs> definitely <laughs> I was going to say, it seems like it's been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's been very, very challenging in terms of, as I said, uh, things like logistics and compliance and various different things. Obviously, setting up as Sorry? We'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into uh, that. <laughs> but yeah. yes, it has. The impact that we make is incredible. And sometimes it can mm. be not a mega 
um, financial huge impact. It can be just seeing somebody not have a chemically laden energy drink to moving to a wholesome sort of more whole whole ingredients led drink of a similar, you know, similar energy type thing, but a natural base. Sometimes it can just literally be those little changes. Sometimes it can be a letter that's or an email through that, that says, you know, since you guys have been in our business, we've, you know, I've managed to lose weight or I've managed to improve my health or I've managed to do, you know, it's really supported me on my health journeys. So it, sometimes it's just those those little moments that make it exciting. But yeah, it's been it's been a journey. So nice, absolutely. I can imagine. And and as with anything worthwhile, it's always going to be a journey, right? But it it sounds to me like overall it's been quite the journey. It sounds like you've gone through a lot of ups and downs, and you know I, I can't even imagine how tough that was for you to go through that time. Um, and I'm so glad to see that something extremely positive has come out of it. Like that that must be something that. You know, I'm I'm sure that um, at w- whatever you believe in, but I'm sure you know if if, uh, if if parents could look down now and see that you're doing this as, and it all stemmed from from that experience as well, then you know they'd be very proud. So, it, it's incredible when when you turn things around like that and kind of um, you almost let that fuel you in a way. But it also sounds to me like your parents were very inspiring people. Um, you know, with the with the charity stuff that they were doing, it sounds to me like they left quite an imprint on you and that. It's it's so lovely to see that in the world of business when you see people who just genuinely care and it's it's coming from a it's coming from a good place you know it's coming from the heart. Um, challenges you, ch- you you touched on challenges and I don't I don't even I don't know where <laughs> to start with challenges because it sounds like that there's gonna be there's a lot there that you must have gone through um, with healthy neighbors. I read somewhere that you're serving uh, something like a few hundred million two hundred and forty four right? million you... through Transport for London yeah that's gosh that's incredible wow it's uh how, how do you feel about that now that you can literally sit back and think you know you've you've fed 244 million people healthy well things. not fed so just just to <laughs> clarify close. this is the footfall that we get past our okay. machines it's not not like individuals not okay yet. got it <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> okay got it well, I mean, I mean, I'm, you, you never know. It could be, it might yeah. be, yeah, it might be that much. But that's, so you've come, okay, interesting. So you've come across 244 million people. That is a huge number still. Um, and, and that's a massive achievement in its own right. Um, so how does it feel to to get to a place where you can look back and think, wow, this is this has been really interesting, but at the same time kind of stay stay with it and stay calm and think, okay, well, what's next and, and what are we doing in the future? Like, how do you kind of, how do you deal with that and almost not, settle so I to think speak, in a way I've probably got to flip that question because one of the things that I'm not very good at is taking stock of what we've actually achieved um <laughs> okay yeah, that's quite probably okay that's the good thing that I'm telling you this then because you know you should <laughs> exactly. you should take stock no, of I it think, okay um okay. I've had to in, in terms of my personal journey I've had to work on transitioning from perfectionism to excellence and as a natural sort of, shall we say, drive within me, I am very high performance and high achievement. And that's been, gosh, that goes right back to schooling days. Um, you know, if I got under 95%, I'd be absolutely mortified. Um, yes. Oh, God. Yes. So oh God. I'm probably the opposite end of that. So as yeah. a business, yeah. Okay. Sorry? That's the wrong question to ask. 
it's the wrong question to ask. Actually, I think everybody can have lessons from that. I think um, whether you run a company or whether you're just involved in an organization, taking stock of what you've actually achieved. Um, I've always got a goal. Um, I've got very Mm. high achieve or very high vision for the next sort of five to seven years, all of that pretty strictly mapped out. Obviously not everything's going to go according to plan. Um, I think one thing that I have started doing in the last 18 months more diligently is um, using a specific journal and the journal itself gets to the end of the week and says, what are the three big things that you've done really well on this week? What can you change, modify and read either do or drop? And I think that has been really helpful in just sort of getting me, even if it's only for five, 10 minutes, getting me to focus on, do you know what? You have done something credible this week, even when it feels like those weeks were, mm. and it's not just a week. Um, the reality, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not the only one anyway, that you can sometimes have a dry period where you think like You're six weeks, not. have I actually achieved anything in this last six weeks? Because you've been working on something different. And I think it gives you that opportunity to reflect back on those things, um, but also continue to make those sort of like, should we say 1% improvements on an ongoing basis? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> and it's so difficult in a startup environment to, to, to do the, to feel the sense of achievement when you're working on such, so many different things and you're sort of making little improvements here, little improvements there, doing a little bit here, a little bit there. And, I've been there. I've definitely been there where you just feel like you're not really going anywhere or you're not achieving much. But actually, if you look back, there's a lot of small little things that are, in the box that are going to be very important down the line, right? And, and you kind of, you, it's hard to take take stock of that, but it's, it's important to do that as well. Um, so you moved from doing the farm stuff into doing a, a bunch of different things. Um, and we are, I promise we will come into Healthy Nibbles and talk a lot about it uh, in, in, in a minute. But I kind of want to continue on going on that journey. And, and it will inevitably all keep tying back to Healthy Nibbles because it's, everything you've done so far kind of ties back there. Um, but I kind of wanted to, to sort of touch a little bit on uh, sort of the regenerative uh, business movement because it looks really interesting and positive and, and sort of some of the stuff that you're doing there, empowering businesses on their journey towards sustainability and regeneration and kind of still keeping on, onto that thread of empowering business with sustainability and whatnot. Um, you see, you see, you were doing this. So that was more when, when as far as a, a sort of a membership. It's more like similar to B Corp. So it's, that was, okay. it's not specifically it. a role that I was involved in. It was more working with them as a sort of founding, um, a founding member, shall we right. say. And it really does okay. go, Brilliant. I Brilliant. think they all fall along that similar train of thought that we cannot com- yeah. continue depleting every resource that we have got available, whether it's human or whether it's the planet, anything. We can't complete, continue depleting all of these resources, not giving back and, and then, I think they were a little bit before their time in terms of something I remember them saying as, as mm. far as um, planting trees for this sort of like carbon offset element, that actually it isn't really a sustainable model. The tree takes, 20 years, 30 years to grow. In that time, you've used that resource in that individual moment in time. So it was all of that sort of the circular economy, essentially, that is coming out more so now in in people's frameworks and in conversation. But I still think we've got an incredibly long way to go on that. We're still 
obviously the top percentage of businesses um, that make probably contribute the most damage are the ones that are not really doing a lot of the groundbreaking change. But then the small business community are ones that are really trying to be as agile and as um, responsive to these um, dilemmas as we can be. Um, but that's not to say we should lose hope. I found a really amazing statistic that 99% of all business in the UK is SMEs. So we've, you know, we've still got some, some power yeah, to punch absolutely. there in terms of how we can collectively change. So, um, yeah, they, they were essentially, or are, should I say, on a similar journey to that sort of B Corp journey and all of those sort of regenerative circular economy mm-hmm. conversations. Well, th- well, this is it, and, and you touched on a really imp- important point there, and, and and I know you're also an ambassador for multiple things and a member of multiple um, things, including B Corp. Um, but you, t- you touched on a really important point there as well that with the s- small businesses really can make a huge difference. Um, and in a way, I, I guess I have to say this because because the name of the podcast is quite literally all about you know profitable businesses that are for good. Um, but but more and more, it's just it's just a mindset thing where the more the new businesses behave this way and try to create for good for profit things, then inevitably they're going to grow and become large organizations down the line. Um, I mean, what is the life, the lifetime of a business anyway? I mean, I can't remember the study that was done around this, but if you look at most businesses, I mean, no businesses really get past mm-hmm. a certain amount of decades and, and, and very, very few make it that far. And so um, obviously there are some incredible examples that have made it for a very long time. But if you look at the really huge examples we have today, I mean, most, a lot of them were formed in the recent yeah. sort of 20, 30 years, right? And, and like some of the biggest companies today. So the reality is that we're also doing this kind of for down the line and the, the sooner and the faster that we move down this route and, and encourage more investment to go into these types of businesses and encourage more support from the government for those uh, types of businesses, then the, the quicker that we'll get there as well. And so hopefully in 10, 20 years time, the biggest companies in the world will all be you know, very mm-hmm. ethical, um, ethically driven. They'll be very much care about the environment and the world and so on. Um, so yeah, so definitely, definitely no, exactly. not to lose hope. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and you're in a startup world uh, at the moment, let, let's say, would you still call yourselves a startup or, or would, you, would, you, would you brand yourself <laughs> a little bit differently? No, it feels like we're permanently on a startup journey. And um, well, we're okay. 2014 <laughs> sort of registered. We started MVPs around end of 2015. So we're eight years um, ish. I would say we so, definitely yeah. haven't done, shall we say, what um, the traditional tech trajectory of, you know, eight years in a tech company and you'd be almost ready for exit. Um, we're definitely not on that trajectory, but um, we're just concluding our Series A round as well. Yeah, so also... I guess we're in moving from that startup to the scale up stage, for want of a better description. Yeah, absolutely. But this is what I want to kind of touch on to is, is the fact that you're moving on to, onto that now. Uh, but I also just wanted to, to touch on the fact that it's an extremely difficult industry to get into. Um, and, and so, you know, like don't, don't saying that, yeah, it's not a traditional startup journey and, or whatever. Sure. It's not the traditional startup journey of, you know, usually they would exit in eight years and, and whatnot, but honestly, the food, the F and B industry is, uh, it, it's, it's a tough one from what I've heard from people around me as well, the kind of, that I know who operate in that world, it can be quite, quite a tough one to get into, to even mm-hmm. give approvals and so on. 
I think it's probably a little bit easier now than it used to be as well back in the day, but to get the approvals and get everything going through properly and the testing and blah, blah, blah. So I can imagine that that's been a bit of a bit of a journey for you. Um, so yeah, but you're on your way yeah, to series A now, it. you mentioned, right? Incredible stuff. Congratulations. That's amazing. Are you, are you no. celebrating yet or, or, or no. not yet? Okay. No, all right. We won't celebrate just yet. We'll wait. Yeah, that, that's, not, that's, that's yeah, terrible, not, right? And not putting any pressure on them. No, we, yeah, we're really pleased with who we've partnered with. It's um, multiple family Amazing. office, really share the values that we've got, um, very much about collabor- collaboration and supporting that journey and using their resources, connections, mm. and, yeah, and availability to actually help that scale-up process. So, Hopefully we're not just in a you know honeymoon phase, but I think I'm really excited to be working with them. Um, so yeah, that, that's a, it's a it's a new stage, and it, it brings about as we say with all of these sort of startup scale up journeys, entrepreneurial journeys, you move into those different phases. So you know we're going where we've done I would say over the last few years those sort of getting into F&B, getting into food service, into um, vending. Probably on top of that, we've got additional challenges around what we're focusing on in terms of free from health and sustainability of products. So there's all of those. I think now we've got really, really strong foundations. It's like we've spent this time building strong foundations, ranging from sustainability to the actual infrastructure of business. So now it's really sort of, mm-hmm that high growth space that we're moving into. So the next few years have got different challenges, but equally so, I think, from a personal perspective, different things that I'm going to be learning on that, that journey. Um, certainly the aspirations Absolutely. are a much bigger team than what I've worked with in the past. So there's obviously growing that team, um, maintaining culture when you're going through that high growth element, um, but also both um, our you know, expanding our customer base beyond the UK into international territories and the challenges that that bring. How, how is that done? Do we do it franchise license? Do we actually go out there into different regions? Where do we start first? All of those different things. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff ahead, which I'm, re- I'm actually really looking forward to. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and, and a lot more challenges that are very different to what you've dealt with, yeah. like you mentioned, bigger, bigger, bigger teams and so on. Um, it, it is pretty good though, that you've, in a way, it, yes, it may have taken quite a while to, to get to where you are now, but it is incredible because you built a lot of the, the infrastructure, as you were saying, like the, the base. Um, and did you start off as a bit more of a service business or have so you the, always been kind of the very first and... element of the business was health food in vending machines. That was the initial okay. product and we never expected it to go beyond that. Now we're at three established revenue ch- revenue streams and an MVP on the way. So now moving into sort of four revenue streams for the business soon. Brilliant. And to have done that before reaching Series A, that's pretty incredible. (laughs) So it was very much bootstrap. A little little bit of angel funding, but we found ourselves in a very peculiar journey when we were looking for funding. And it really took the right mindset to Mm. understand the dynamics of the business because We've got, a t- we've got a tech focus in terms of the data that we track around consumption patterns, um, the healthiness of food, all of that side of it. 
But equally so, we've got a very, very heavy logistics and operational element. We need to refill vending machines. What happens if they break down? Um, we distribute boxes. We have got a food service element. So you've got this really heavy logistics element. And asset, asset yeah, heavy as well with vending very, machines yeah. and hubs and exactly. things. Yeah. And VCs did not get it yeah. at all. Yeah. So, wow. I'm, you I'm know, not, I'm not surprised. finding yeah. A, the right investors on this journey, both the angels that we've got, but also the new um, incoming investor has been really key because actually the market size is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the opportunities for the business are phenomenal. Mm. Um, very comparative to that sort of high growth tech space. But actually, when you've got such polarized viewpoints in certain community, funding communities where they can't deal with the fact that you've got logistics and tech or B2B and B2C, it becomes quite a challenge despite the market size. So, yeah, I think some of it has been mm. not necessarily... A decision that we've wanted to take it's been a decision we've had to take because we couldn't be categorized quite so simply as some other people that were also raising money got it got it but that will have 100%. built in a lot of resilience <laughs> um and yeah and you kept, you kept going despite yeah. despite all those things which is uh, really really important it, it, is, it is quite a, an asset-heavy business if you're going down that route and, and owning the vending machines and owning uh, owning a lot of that stuff and running the actual logistics and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately, Amazon is a logistics okay. business, right? And it, it's an extremely asset-heavy one. And But, but hell, they have a, such a massive market share that yes. it's, it's insane. Um, and, and they weren't profitable for a very, very long time because it is hard to, to build all these things out. But in, at the end of the day, it pays off, right? So... I'm talking from a financial perspective, so like I'm thinking about it from, from like the investment point of view. Um, but but that, that's quite that's quite interesting. And but when you mentioned they actually working with family offices who are kind of like driven by the mission and everything, that sounded to me as I thought that that's by choice as well because you know it's really important that you get investors on board who are not just going to give you a bunch of money, but actually help you and mm -hmm. open doorways and care about what you do and so on. Um, and you know some VCs offer that. But at the end of the day, it, it's probably a little bit easier to find that maybe in more angel-like or more grassroots-driven uh, uh, funds. So maybe as, as a bit of, from your experience, maybe somebody else here listening is someone who's going through a similar journey route now of raising for the startup. Um, you know, how, how, would, how, how would you go about navigating that and kind of finding the right people to to invest into your uh, into your business i personally believe it's like a marriage a hundred percent okay i think you are going to work with these individuals for a long period of time or even if it's a short period of time it may feel like a long period of time if they're the wrong people i believe that finding those right individuals um I've got one in particular that comes to mind very, um, very frequently. I'm not going to embarrass him, embarrass him and mention his name, but he's one. He is one of our investors, and he's absolute star in terms of that pragmatic viewpoint. When you're going, oh my goodness, what is going on? He is at the other end of the phone, 
Um, and he's also mm. very passionate about health, wellness, tech, well tech, all of that sort of stuff. So he's very passionate about the industry that we're actually in as well. What that enables is the ad hoc WhatsApp messages like, have you seen this article? Have you seen this round? Have you seen this acquisition? All of those sorts of things that are incredibly helpful in your journey. I've equally got some not so productive investors that have, have actually been a challenge to work with. And I can see the difference. If you put those two in balance together, you can see, do you know what you really support and drive? And it isn't a time, it's not a time commitment issue because even the positive one, and it's not like he's giving me a day a week or a day a month commitment or anything. It's just that open dialogue that's there. Whereas on the negative experience, again, it's the lack of open dialogue and the tones and the the different sort of communication ways of how can you support this company that you've actually invested in. Now, I appreciate every investor yeah. comes at this sort of investment journey, particularly on the angel stage. Every investor comes at it with a different approach. Some are just mitigating their risk so it will be a set number of amount that goes across a multiple companies and almost if it's part of a um a group and a syndicate or anything they they're not always bothered about the sector as long as somebody's validated the sort of message that has gone on um but what i've found mm. is the value in the relationship of the strong ones is so significant that my recommendation to anyone I speak to now is even though, and I'm going to contradict the entire thing that we had where sometimes time was of the essence, we needed that fund now, we didn't need it in 12 months' time. So all of those messages aside, in yeah. terms of plan your cash flow, know when you actually need stuff, I would say, first and foremost, if you can get funding from other ways, there's lots of new opportunities depending on the sectors that you're in to fund. But secondly, if you do want to go down that angel, really just getting to know them. Coffees, meals, you know, find out what their portfolio companies think. Really, even community, even the community that they sit in. And I am speaking from, as I say, the alluded to the one that we've actually got, but actually a really bad experience that we had last year um, with an investment deal. So I'm speaking from that experience of, you, you know, you've got to speak to communities, speak to other startup scale-ups that have been funded and find out who, who would they raise the flag for and who would they say, actually, you know, take a sidestep if you can. I think that is just so important because I think you are on this journey together and I think it's underestimated and not spoken about enough is this investment journey is, yeah. is a partnership and you legally have to be responsible to sharing information with them but you've got to know that you trust them and they've got your back as well on this journey not underestimating the fact that you're actually turning trying to give Absolutely. them a return as well obviously you know that is really i take that really personally as well probably too much so that i think particularly in the tech world there's an awful lot of let's go raise money and who cares about the investor because you know, that's, that's what we do. We just raise and raise and raise. But actually, yeah. I think something that connects back into the B Corp and the sustainability journey is we're raising money to give a return. And whether that's an individual return or whether that is a fund return, that's what you're ultimately doing. You're creating that continuous yeah. cycle of return because ultimately then that's investing in the next generation of entrepreneurs that are coming on in front of you. 
because you're giving that investor more money back, essentially. So I see it as quite a sort of circular um, relationship as well. That's a really nice way to think about it. Um, that it's a, it's a circular thing, and you know, if you find a good investor, and obviously, not to say that if you find a bad investor, screw them over. No, no, by, no, by no, no means that. do that. <laughs> but if you find an investor, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but if you um, if you find a good investor, then then absolutely. Um, and and when investors give you money, you want to give them the returns back because then they yep. can go and fund other businesses. That's uh, that's also a really nice way to think about it. Because I think some people might think about it from the point of view that, you know, well, I'm just, obviously they are making money and you are helping them make money, but they're also helping you uh, make a lot of money and build your vision with your startup. But um, by actually helping them in that way, they can go and invest in more things uh, like you. So that, that's a really interesting one. I've, I've actually seen a couple of attempts as well, uh, sort of in the, in, in the startup world of trying to tackle that, who is the good investor, who's not a so good investor, what's been your experience with that VC or that angel and so on. And there's a few cool attempts, including sort of an anonymous group of, uh, of founders that kind of, you know, talk, talk about things openly and whatnot. And it's really nice. It's really, really nice. I was nice introduced to, to that a little bit too late, to as in sort of somebody shared it with me last week, indeed. Were you? Oh, um, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, Only last week. Oh, wow. This okay. And this is like, yeah. you can share experiences anonymously. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. It's so it, awesome. Uh, and yeah, actually, it's so, it's so I think awesome. it's so powerful to use these connections because because of the good and bad experiences that you go through because they can actually when yeah. when the pressure is on the last thing you need is an irritant of an That's investor coming and saying well did you do that wrong why did you do that wrong we would never have done that wrong and it's like okay you, you know you're not in yeah. this experience you're not living it either give me the advice because i'm absolutely open to it or don't, but there's no point in coming in and just criticizing now. You know, I could have done with your help a year ago. Absolutely. But but equally so on the other end of that scale, because I have had that, that experience too, is where there's a lack of involvement. Like too it's complete like you know, it's complete lack of involvement, too much of a lack of involvement. Or um, you know, it's like it, it it's incredible. Yes, thanks that you trust me so much and I love it. But you know, I also want your input and advice and and network and connections and everything that's also yeah, very important, right? Yeah, I've got a few right? that um, so I, I don't. I kind of see it like... I was just going to say, I've got a couple sorry? in there from a syndicate that I... They get the monthly updates, but they, they there's no... there's It's not a two-way it. relationship. It's a one-way yeah. relationship, 100%. And I yeah. think maybe you've got to... Especially if you're... There's, a, there's, a, there's an element of do you complain about that but actually with the amount of crowdfunding and things like that you don't engage with all of those either but you know it's just slightly different no, 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 of course, and i think of what i've identified in our group is people that are passionate about the industry are passionate about could be female founders it could be scale-up growth it could be whatever you know they've got some form of emotional connection to the vision that we've got we've got people that we don't really engage with um, we've got people that will sort of touch base every year. And then we've got only a very small minority, but we'll find anything to complain about in any update, even if you'd grown by 400%. If you'd done that, you've probably done it too quick or something. I don't know. that You know, they would find an issue. But I think okay. what that has done is my first, I would say, again, I didn't need to, because it was service industries before, I didn't need to raise. This is something that I've needed to do with this business. Um, 
it's a lesson. You learn, right, I can spot this. I can spot that. I know that if I exit this and go on to do something in the health and wellness space, I will absolutely go back to our investor that's in health and wellness and say, will you join me on this journey? Um, so I think there's, there's lessons to be learned in everything that you go through. And I think, you know, I'm always of that sort of mindset that you can either learn from it or you can complain about it. But if you complain, it's only going to bring the, your mm. environment down around you as a pop, as opposed to actually saying, do you know what? I learned from this. I know twice. Now I can identify X, Y, and Z. I can, you know, make those changes in future decision-making. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sounds also to me like there is the, an element of you don't necessarily need everybody to be involved um, as an investor, but at least find one or two investors who are really key and they're going to help almost provide that not not maybe a coaching role or maybe a mental role or maybe just an open doors for your role. But really think about, you know, what are the areas that you also need support in in that sense and try to identify a few investors who are kind of who can provide that and, and help you with that as well as the others, because there are some people who just kind of think, oh, that's a good idea, I like it. I also think it's going to be, you know, it, it will make me rich one day, or I think it's a great idea and I just want to support the business, but mm. I have too many things in my play, I don't want to be involved. You do get that too, and surely, that, sure, that's okay. Um, but if everybody's like that, that can be a problem. And then I can, but I can also see your point is that is every, if everybody that's wants to get involved, problem, that's, yeah, also, that's also many. a problem because that's also, yeah. But interestingly, you just said about mentoring and coaching, mm. that was, shall we say, our star, star investor. That was something that he actually connected to me to when okay. I was going through a particularly challenging moment. Was... We're, we're going to get people asking who that person is now, by the way. The, 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 you, you keep mentioning that. So... I'm not sharing <laughs> yeah, Go ahead. <laughs> I do actually connect him with other stuff in the market, just in case, but yeah. no, he's, he's, he's phenomenal. But he he spotted, obviously, from that external perspective moment when I was in a, a sort of bit of a angsty time and connected me to a coach who I worked with over a series of sessions. And I never forget one thing that and I've taken it with me through since that since she said it, but she said, never forget whose business this is. And I was having a particular issue with a, a certain group of the investors or section. And she said, don't forget whose business this is. And there is mm. that element. I know there is shareholder value that you must deliver on. But I also believe that too often as founders, you've got everything coming at you from lots of different sides. And some weeks get overbearing. Some weeks are challenging. And actually remember what you've created. It goes back to that whole thing that I said at the beginning as far as the journaling. Remember what you've created and remember that it is your business and it is your baby and you have the deciding factor usually um, to actually navigate which direction you're going to take the business in and it is an awful you don't have to do everything that every investor says otherwise you will be pulled from pillar to post mm. one something that i can actually sort of relate that to in our experience very early days when we launched the boxes the original concept behind the boxes was if an item potentially didn't suit the vending machine, it would be really well suited to a box and there was another channel that we could actually use. Um, and I had a couple of investors who said, you are absolutely bonkers, you need to stay on course, don't get distracted, don't do this, don't do that. Um, 
when COVID came, that's essentially the cash generator behind the business that kept us afloat for the 18 months because every the minute the lockdown occurred, every single element of revenue just disappeared overnight from the hubs. Plummeted. Because yeah. there was nobody going into businesses, there was nobody right. traveling. So the boxes pro- provided, actually, we grew by about 30 or 40% during that COVID year, I think, at least. Um, might even be more. And that was just literally because we had that product already in place and it had been utilized by brands for Incredible. probably about three years prior to COVID had taken place, but it was an established product right. and was able to be adapted very quickly. Yeah. So I think sometimes... You know, I wouldn't have foreseen, you know, I'm not some fortune teller foreseen COVID, but go with your Nobody guts would have because some, that. you know, you've got to remember that on this journey because you'll get a lot of viewpoints from so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a really good point. Um, it's remembering that who, whose business it is, but also kind of as a, as a, another way to say that is that at the end of the day, the investors invested in you. So that because they trust you and they believe mm-hmm. in you and your decision making abilities and so on. So at the end, so, so even you know if investors are kind of being a little bit annoy, annoying in that sense, you can always turn around and say, "Well, look, you invested yeah. in me, right? Because you trust my decision making abilities. Well, then trust me to do what I think is best, and don't worry about it. Like the, the rest will fall into place." So, so in a way, it's also to remember that 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 it is very much. You're right. It is very much the founder's role to also understand which advice to take on board and when and, and, and so on. Tough thing to do though oh, when you're in, in the trenches. You know, there's, right? there's days where you just think, what yeah. am I doing? Um, there's days where I've literally been at home feeling so demoralized because the either investors or other people have, you know, weighed in heavy on mm. what are we doing? You know, even as a, a B Corp, if you make a wrong decision, it's like, well, that wasn't very good for B Corp. It's like, yeah, but we're all on a journey. We're, you know, some things are going to work, some things are not going to work. And yeah, yeah you've got to be, you've That's got okay. to be, to get yourself comfortable with that because not every single thing is going to work on the entrepreneurial journey. You're going to absolutely floor it on some stuff, but some stuff's going to take off and you're going to shine and you'll be ahead of the market trends and you'll just look like you've got this, you know, superpower or something. But it might just be might just be down to yeah. yeah, just a little bit of luck in there as well. So you know, there's definitely a sprinkle of luck in there. I, I I'm a firm believer in now in that there there is a a sprinkle. I think there are things that can increase your luck. Let's put it that way. Um, but there is also an, an element of luck there, uh, timing and and whatnot. Um, it's uh, it it's it's interesting when you see some huge companies sometimes doing things really badly because they're trying to move really quickly and to do things and and they're big companies a lot of people forget that that you know like in a way if if things aren't breaking and and there's that that cliche thing of course where if things aren't breaking then you're not moving fast enough in a way um and i I do think there's an element of truth to that is that you kind of want to be moving a bit faster than what you can handle in a way and and obviously that means you're going to make you're making mistakes and that's okay um just learn from them and so on so what would you say, um, what would you say, I mean, that's obviously on the inverse side of things. Mm. Going back a little bit, previous experiences, um, and, and I'm asking this question because I, I can see the difference in how I've developed as a person in different areas of business as I've done more and more of whatever stuff in the startup world and so on. 
and I can see, and I look, I look back at how I used to be, for example, as a, as a, a as a team leader at one point in my life or as whatever at one point in my life and cringe because of just, you know, how bad I was at doing some things. Um, and I'm, I'm still learning tons, obviously on a daily basis. And I'm, and I'm sure every, everybody's still learning tons on a daily basis, whatever they're doing, but I like, I'm interested to know kind of for you going through those journeys, what are sort of like, you know, maybe if you're happy to share, obviously, cause this could be quite a personal thing, but what are kind of like two, two or three things or two or three areas that you just used to do really badly and you've kind of learned to just do better over time. And you've learned that you had to improve those as a, as a leader. I think there's two immediate that spring to mind. One that's, that's, that's a, a work sign. in progress okay. still. <laughs> um, so I mentioned it briefly before, but the perfectionism to excellence. Um, I'd grown up yep. um, in some ways influenced by this perfectionism. Like you didn't take rest. I mean, I cannot remember my family ever having a nap in their entire life at all, ever. Um, wow. I got sympathy from my grandmother when I nearly died of a stomach in- stomach bug but I don't remember the sympathy being sort of like oh poor little thing there was no molly puzzling of children it was it was actually I think in that weird um, generational thing without giving my age away too much but it was like children are seen and not heard do as you're told um (laughs) these are the boundaries yeah (laughs) you know that certainly um, there was an influence there, shall we say, of a perception of excellence, like, yeah. So I had an sure. innate drive anyway as a child. I mean, I was a competitive equestrian. Um, everything that I did, I would do to the max. And wow. um, that's, that's so cool. No, do you still do a bit of horse riding at the moment? Over, well, not for a while, yeah. actually, but... It's just, I think, so there was all of that sort of, you must, you know, I would never be, for instance, when I was um, competing, second and third place was a failure in my mind at the time. And that, yeah, so that followed me through. I'm getting the picture. I've had to change a lot over time um, to accommodate excellence. Like you've done your best, you've given it your all, you've done absolutely the best that you can do in that situation and you've done it as well as that you can possibly do. I'm not a fan of the whole sort of, if it's nearly there, get it out as a product or as a a situation. But at the same time, I think if you've done, say for instance, we are launching an MVP. If we've done, if we know that we've set stage one and we've done that to the best of our ability and there's a learning from that and then stage two so I think that that has been a journey because I would certainly within the perfectionism I would put that onto everybody around me as well so I would expect everybody else to be 100% perfect and if you're not that type of person for instance my husband who I've been with for since I was 17 is not that type of person so Oh, very very wow. different in, and i'm like why are you not driven by this what is wrong with you but how how have you how sorry to to how have you you know since you were 17 how have you dealt with that then <laughs> you must have had so many fights around that <laughs> i'd imagine not to get too personal yeah we've like, worked together 20 wow. years 
but you somehow i guess that was a good learning learning ground for you right so if you could do that with your husband from when you were 17 then you would definitely be able to do that with your team yeah, so you, later on in life so that was a huge you could journey. think that was a good learning ground um so <laughs> yeah. yeah perfection to excellence um yeah, more along the lines of well-being and looking after yourself i that has taken uh -huh. Sorry. Okay. Well, I guess that kind of ties in. It does in a way, actually. Right? Yeah. I guess that kind of ties in. in, in so in I remember right? with yeah. the agency okay. um, in Kenya, literally, it was a joke to my team, but actually, it's not a proud moment at all. I fell asleep, stood up, because I'd worked something in the region. I think I was oh talking about sixty hours straight through or something. So. Neither did I. I, I didn't know happened. that was possible, but hey, there um, you go. And my brother was there yeah. and my husband was there and they just, wow. they actually, it was a bit of a joke that she will literally carry on working until she falls asleep, stood up. Um, that was a massive, well, to okay. be fair, Th that single experience wasn't so much of a wake up call as it probably should have been. Um, I do find sure. myself, even now, if I get a project or if there is something going, I will cut out everything. So even to the point, you know, the place could be burning down around me and I'm focused on what I'm doing. So I think that for me is an ongoing journey of learning to understand the fact, and I am getting better. I spot the cues around when I'm getting really, really stressed with certain physical cues that I will get that I just think, right, I need to go for a walk or I need to go get some rest and sleep properly. Um, I've invested in things like Aura Ring to track sleeping so that you can start to see those patterns. And that's been okay. incredibly helpful and supportive. But I think those are sort of, yeah, those are probably the two key ones. That the two areas. With, with with the health one, that's that's uh, like, yeah. Well, I kind of want to dive a bit deeper into that one because that, that's a really easy one to, to let yeah. go of when you're in such a busy environment. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember personally, and I've definitely seen so many people around me have done the same thing where at, at some point you just sacrifice sleep and sacrifice eating well because they're the easiest thing to let yeah. go of is to sacrifice sleep and eating well. Um, and, and even social life. And, and social life is a huge part of well-being that a lot of people also don't really pay enough attention to, in my opinion. But, you know, like if for me, I, I remember at one point, I think I wasn't sleeping well i was working practically all day and i didn't have a social life i would eat whatever was there because i just had to basically i looked at food not as food but just as mm -hmm. purely fuel to keep me going so i'd eat whatever was there that would keep me going i don't really care you know it's fine um and and it does and, and yes you, you feel like you get a, it's, it's a weird thing because i'm kind of still i'm still to some extent battling with it a little bit because it's I'm, I I definitely get more tasks mm -hmm. done if I work longer, okay? Um, yes, I'm going to be less efficient at getting those things done the later I go in the day because I'm more sleepy and more tired and, and probably need to have a little bit of a of rest. But I'm still going to get some things done. So yes, something might take me, you know, 30 minutes in the morning and it will take me two hours in the evening or an hour and a half in the evening. But I'm still at, I'm still at least kind of getting it done. And then there's the weird thing next to that, which I'm sure you might relate to, um, where if you've been sleeping really well, so I, I now I now I'm trying very very mm -hmm. hard to get at least seven eight hours a night. I'm trying very very hard to do that, like six to eight hours at the very least. Um, so well six at the very least, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> he's going back. Okay, five and a half now. I'm joking, then. <laughs> he's just going to keep going back and left. Um, no, I'm trying to get six hours. But there's this thing I'm battling with where if I get a really good night's sleep, I feel fresh. I feel amazing. I can, I can just, I can tell that I feel better. I'm emotionally in a better place. I'm better to have, more able to have better conversations with people. I can think more creatively and so on. But there is also the other side where if I'm lacking a little bit of a sleep, and please nobody take this as advice, but when I'm lacking sleep, if I sleep, say, four hours or something like that, I'm a li- little bit cranky, which makes gives me a little bit more sense of urgency. So I, I almost feel you like it, it kind of like gives me a bit more of a, okay, yeah. I'm a bit more cranky. Yeah. You know, I, ha- I have a little bit less time for the subtle beauties of day-to-day life. And so I'm just going to just be more direct and just get more things done and just kind of focus and do that that way. And then I find that, after two or three days of not sleeping very well, mm. it just becomes the norm. And so my, my mind just kind of, okay, this is now just the norm of doing things. Um, and I almost forget that at one point I felt really refreshed by sleeping so much. And, it, and then it's easy to kind of like stay in that mode for a while. But I start noticing that, you know, stress increases and, and so on. And so I, I don't really have, a, I, I, sleep is really important. I've read why we sleep and I've, you know, done, looked at sort of a few of those things. And I now understand why it's important and I try my best to sleep well. But I also just sometimes go into those phases of saying, okay, screw it. For the next two weeks, there's a lot going on. I'm just going to sacrifice sleep and I'm just going to get a lot more done and, and have that slightly increased sense so of I- urgency. Oh, have you had similar battle here with, with this or just um, me? Or... I think right. I okay. added to the dynamic. Um, we had a, um, a child, so she's 15. So you have a different dynamic in there of, as far oh, as. Wow. Well, can't even imagine what that would be like with, no, with that. It's, it's fun. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, can imagine, I can imagine. I, 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 at least 15 now, though. Where is she? Yeah, what's actually happening? Where? No. <laughs> oh god, yeah, we forgot um, her at the school. Oh no, okay. Um, no, she's she's absolutely brilliant, and she's a, she's sort of um, got her own path, and very much used to parents doing this journey. But I think That's I think so cool. you're right. There is an element of, and this is I think it's important to talk about it because it is, should we say? the holy grail of eight hours a day is glorified a little bit too well it's not it's very essential but sometimes if you are running a business don't underestimate the hard work that goes into it you know it takes a lot of energy and exactly i would argue you know i'm totally against this whole you know you can work four hours a day you can do a four-day week even though we're very much in that well-being space and that is part of our narrative and it's part of our conversations and we have to be a flexible employer as well and we also engaging a lot of our clients we're engaging in good nutrition but then we're having those conversations around sleep and stress and movement and all of those things that sort of form into that whole sort of healthy existence but you as a founder taking it purely from a founder's perspective if you are trying to create something impactful i would argue that the vast majority of people have not done it on a four-hour day or a four-day week at all i'd be i'd be yeah i'd be very surprised if there's not something in the background they've either created something very similar that they can carbon copy or they're just not being honest and there's a few out there on certainly on linkedin that i've seen that are actually say is saying it as it is that this is what i gave up you do give up stuff 
Um, I know, I know Elon Musk is not an example to go by, but, you know, has, has famously said, you've got three choices in, you know, in terms of where you put your priorities. So like you said about socializing diet and health, fitness, sleep, the business, all of those things, family even needs to put in there that you can actually only choose three of them at any one time in your life. So I think there, there is an element that creating a business is hard graft and it should be. It's a journey that's worth doing, but it's only worth doing if you actually love that journey and love that exhilaration element. And you've got to be able yes. to manage stress. You've got to be able to manage demands. Um, I think you've got to know the journey that you're in. You've got to know what stage you're at. And it is a constant balancing. I mean, I, I know that, for instance, we're going into post-investment where we're looking at building the team quite a lot. That means I have worked out that I had about literally two months of solid interview time. And that's if all I did for eight hours a day was interview, ultimately with the number of roles. But how do you spread that? How do you ease the burden? How do you do different things? But that's not including any of my day job either. So it's you know that you're going to go through periods of time and you know what we've done to caveat that is when the investment comes in we're going to take a week off and then we're going to go into it a bit fresher and then in summer we're going to take another holiday now putting that in perspective we've not taken a holiday since 2017 so it does sound sounds rather glamorous like i've got two holidays in three months but actually we've got (laughs) years of backlog to go so i think I think knowing what you are going through in the stage of the business and that can ebb and flow, but don't expect to come into a scale up journey or a a business journey and think that you're going to do it lightly because you're not. But I think at the same time, you don't want to end up killing yourself in that process. So it is such a fine line that you've just got to tread almost daily. And sometimes you might have to do it daily. Sometimes you might have to do it by the hour. How do I feel? Whereas other times, you know that, right, I've got a, pe- a period of time mm. that I know that I'm going to be doing 12, 15 hour days, but I know that in doing that, this is the goal and the outreach and the, the final thing that you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to have created or achieved. And it's not really, I'm just thinking back to my very first sort of training, professional training sort of degree was linked to event management. That is very, very similarly. That yeah, is you've got all this time where, you know, you, you sign out yeah. of the 48-hour directive. You do not, you know, there's no, then you're not even going to get employed yeah. if you want to stay within that set time frame. You put all these hours in mm-hmm. and then this great, beautiful, fantastic event happens and then you crash after it. So there are certain roles that, for you to be excellent and to be brilliant in that role, you're just going to have to put the hours in. You've just got to balance it in a, way, a weird yeah. way. <laughs> and you'll find it right for your individual. It's, it's, yeah, and it's, and it's very true. And like, you know, I've met investment bankers who, you know, they're, they're, they know that, okay, for the next 10 years of my life, I have, they have no a life. life except work <laughs> because, because they're, they're working to get to a certain point, right? And they know that, okay, once I'm there, then I'm going to be able to do X, Y, Z, which is, you know, I mean, it's a personal choice at the end of the day and what they do with it. Um, I have thoughts, by the way, too, on, on the whole four-hour, uh, four-day work week and, and so on. And we can, <laughs> we can, go, we can go into this uh, if you want, but I'm, I'm not sure how much it will resonate with a, lot of, uh, with a lot of people, my personal thoughts on this. But um, 
I, I, I'll be totally honest. I worry a little bit sometimes uh, about this movement to to make it the standard, the the, the national standard to have a four four day work week. Uh, and my my concern is around you know, it, it's a, it's a tough one. It's it's a complicated complicated thing to 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 go into. But just very briefly, you know, to stay um, to stay relevant on the global stage, it's. I think yeah. I think it's going to be a struggle to do that with a with a four day work week, and this is just it's not a popular opinion, but it is the reality. And but then there's the question of okay, well, how much does it matter to be relevant on the global stage and so yeah, on? But that's exactly. that's a whole other conversation in its own right. So we're not we're not going to go there. Um, but yeah, but I I think yeah I think it's interesting. You know, there is something to be said as well with for um, for calming down a little bit on the hyper growth mentality that there is something to be said for that too. So, so I do get that argument too very much in, in that, you know, like perhaps it is a good thing that we, we hyper grow as a, as a, as a civilization. And then we just kind of like, okay, let, let's, let's chill out on the growth a little bit and, and continue to grow, but we don't have to like, you know, be going in an exponential way all the time kind of thing. So there is something to be said there too. Um, but yeah, but, but it's an interesting one. Um, I think I think my my main thing around that though is that you know like it, it is a personal decision it's a personal choice if people want to do this or not uh, and and if you want to be a founder of a of a startup I I would unless you're just extremely good at what you do then sure but in for the most part most founders I've met in my life have been I, I very hardworking yeah. people um that's, that's been one definitely one common denominator between uh, all absolutely of them. i would very, totally very agree and we so. you know as a business we're flexible for our team so if somebody only wants to work four days that's great but you exactly. take <clears throat> a you take the salary that's appropriated so and we've not had any pushback yeah. on that so if somebody's wanted to you know if we've advertised a role it's a five-day week they only want to do four they've taken that salary drop to accommodate for the four which i think is fair is and i'm yeah. to you know we're totally open to to that sort of molding around the availability of the best talent for the business and the best team and we have got the most amazing team at Polaris. it's just phenomenal um That's but cool. i think uh, as you say a national directive that that is the norm it really isn't for a sustainable business um and it's, it's also yeah, i think we need exactly. to take the pressure and lift the lid on even the homeworking side that's got into the norm. It doesn't work for a logistics company. It doesn't matter how much direct, you know, chat out there there is. We cannot turn our business into a homeworking. Ultimately, who's going to pack boxes? Who's going to fill? Who's going to service? Mm. And our clients are yeah. not doing the homework and they're bringing people back because they're finding a loss of community. Well, but that's that's exactly what I was going to say next as well. Is that with the whole homeworking thing, yeah. I know a lot of people who just don't want to work from home. They just they just don't. They they prefer to meet people and intermingle and keep a separate mm. keep a separation between home and work life and choose. I want to work two days from home this week. I don't want to work from home at all next week. I want to work three days from home next week or whatever. At least have the flexibility, but also a lot of them actually just, I mean, I, I speak for myself as well. Yeah. I personally prefer to be in the office most days in the week just because it's nicer and I can go back home and then take my clothes off and wear my pajamas yeah, exactly. and feel at home, right? And, and eat warm food and go to bed and feel like I'm resting and I'm looking after myself. For, for me, that's also like a meta-psychological thing where... If I'm working right next to the place where I sleep, that's, I think there is that. I like to keep that. Yeah, bit of I think that's a huge part of it, and I think it's it's not 
um, without, or should we say it's not worthy of um, sort of that disconnect around the, the rise of mental health and this sort of having people huddled up at home, even though we do arguably, you know, I work from home um, on an ad hoc and yeah, I absolutely love the fact that I just get some silence and I can just sort of go into my zone and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I do think there's so much community. And I, I had one of, one of my, um, she's no longer with us, but it was an ex-employee. And she was with us at the start of COVID. And one of the things that she said, which I thought was quite interesting, because she'd been with us a while. But then when we suddenly introduced Teams um, or Slack or whatever, just that whole thing of needing to reach out needed to be more of a moment than it necessarily was if you were just grabbing a coffee um, at work. And it suddenly became more of a situation that you were having to create and navigate and, you know, needed to have some something substantial to say rather than just Absolutely. actually a passing comment. Um, but I think it, if anything, and we can take anything good out of these changes that have come on, is, is that sort of employer flexibility so that, we're open to the demands. It might be yeah, somebody has got a relative with cancer and needs to go check in on them or, you know, does have an old an older parent that they're looking after and, you know, a couple of days a week they're doing care sharing and things or, you know, adopting a child or, you know, whatever it may be. But there needs to be that sort of flexible approach to what works really well for you. Um, yeah. And for employers Absolutely. to create, kind of create that, but also not to lose fact that businesses exist to rate, to sell, to have money so that they can pay salaries. And if we get this sort of perpetual um, environment that is underperforming and all about, should we say, the fluffy stuff and just being, let's have a nice, everybody's happy, blah, 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 then you actually potentially... Yep if that goes on too long could lose profitability and then therefore you lose jobs and there's a negative effect to it. So I think it just needs a really balanced approach and a, a really sort of grown up approach rather than a carbon cut sort of carbon cutout approach for every single organization. Because I do know businesses with tremendous culture that are doing really, really well, that are purely online based and working yeah. from home and remote and have that whole setup. And that works for them, but equally so not to, um, not to chastise and you know beat up the companies that are physical in their actual practical day day to day exactly. day to day exactly. um, roles. So, yeah. yeah, lots lots to talk about there. Could get could do another one on this. <laughs> no, absolutely. We could literally do a whole other one on just on the subject. It's so true. No, but you, I think you nailed it on the head there. It, it's just not having the, the carbon cut approach and, and, and try and copy paste it everywhere else. It's just not going to work like that um, because it's, yeah, different organizations yeah, require absolutely. different things and, and different stages as well as the business. So you could you could definitely argue that, you know, it, it's easier to be in one room if it's two or three co-founders starting out. You know, it, it I've, I've from my experience, maybe it's the, my style of working as well, um, give me a whiteboard and a room and a couple of people yeah. and so many magical ideas will, will come out of that discussion, right? Yeah, that's definitely um, what we're focusing on at the moment with the high growth right. element. Um, this... We have somebody new joining the team next week yeah. and whereas the person's not based where the office is, 
then making that and this was as much it Mm. was a collaborative conversation around that but it was very much being present in the office because we're going through that high growth stage so you don't want to turn up to the office two weeks later and realize that there's another 15 people that have joined and you actually don't know who anybody is and you've not created any dynamics yeah um and i really think as well for the b corp and the impact element of the business the sustainability and the purpose that sometimes is because it's not average in every single business is trying to go on that journey. I think it actually does need that sort of joint connection, that collaboration. So you're constantly thinking about, again, like I said before, with the sort of whole let's buy trees and we've offset our carbon. That's, you know, we very quickly realized that's not the route to a safe environment going forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I think just getting everybody together so that you can constantly think and and brainstorm ideas from for us from the person packing a box to who's on reception to who's leading marketing sales operations everybody will have a different unique emotional and intellectual perspective to bring to that table but if they never actually get together around a table then it doesn't actually happen because they might think i've got a great idea but actually yeah who do i who do i send that to who do i broach that with it might just be a stupid idea i don't want to mention it whereas in a room they will yeah and and that's exactly it and and in a room it's easier to build on top of other ideas and and it's yeah i don't know what it is but it's very difficult to replicate that online i don't know why and i i really want to see an effort to try and replicate that online in some way to enable companies to work better remotely because you know like i'll give you an example so our, our cto um he's based abroad. He's been abroad for the whole time. And, you know, he was actually in Ukraine during everything that was going on. And, and, uh, and, and gosh, gosh, there was so, so, so much resilience, uh, from, from everyone from the region. Generally we have, we have people from the region generally who kind of are working with us. And despite everything that was going on, they were just so resilient, uh, which is incredible. And, you know, he's kind of moved around and whatnot and, and still operating everything online. And we managed to kind of get these things done, but it's, but it's very much a case of, okay, we need to get the laptop and the camera in front of the whiteboard and still kind of brainstorm together and so on. Um, but, it, but it is a lot easier when you're, um, when you're in person. So one of the ways, for example, that we've tried to replicate this whole environment of being able to kind of just share openly and, and if you have an idea, just bring it up, is to have these drop-in sessions where we just kind of co-work online together mm-hmm. on a drop-in session. So, you know, it'll be going on for like four hours and then whoever can drop in just drops in and kind of everyone just works at the same time. So it's nothing crazy. Uh, just Google Meet, and and then in that case, sometimes someone will just quickly unmute and be like, "Oh, guys, what about this?" Blah blah blah, and then people can chime in and go into a separate room and have a discussion and come back again. So mm. we've tried to replicate it that way, and it seems to be working, um, working at, for the time for them in the meantime. But if I'm being totally honest, like I still, it still hasn't fully replaced what the, the what I'd normally be able to get out of being together in the office and and having that environment and being able to go and grab a coffee and have a quick chat and come back again, that sort of thing. So yes, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, mm. And you're right, different businesses require different things. And logistics, I mean, how how are you going to work from home as a fully that as a logistics day company? We I mean, both are quite tough. tough. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Hell, you probably need seven, but hey. <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> so so what's, uh, coming back to that then, so what are the next steps for you? How excited are you about the 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 expanding the business and hiring I and so on. I think the expanding the business is that. really ex- 
exciting stroke nerve-wracking <laughs> in, equal, in equal measure um I was fortunate yeah. enough last year to go on the Goldman Sachs program which is the 10 KSB and that's a really really good wow. program so if anyone's over the quarter of a million um revenue apply it's worth its weight in gold um both from a, a sort of structural perspective as far as your business because you are kind of you you pull apart the business and then rebuild it almost and then have this support around it and but also the peer group education which i just think own peer group support you essentially get a a small group um which is, have been our outsourced peer um peer board for want of a better expression um so I think that has really helped support okay. me. So in terms of planning for the next growth, but I think the biggest challenges or the biggest movements for us is probably the people side where I expect as I say, we're six of us at the moment. I expect us to be nearer upwards of a hundred in the next 18 months, which is alarming. Uh, hold on oh, to gosh. your hat sort of moment. Yeah. Um, that, that's that. That, that, that does sound, uh, I don't want to say no, daunting, I don't want it to be negative, but it does sound like it's, it's going to be a, a right, very interesting thing. Yeah, is that, is that okay? Um, I don't want to be too harsh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so no, we've but, got but it's that an incredible challenge. coming in so, all sorts of different roles yeah. from marketing, sales, tech, um, the logistics and operations across the entire business. So that's quite interesting. Um, we're launching our MVP on the tech side. So that puts us well and truly in the, shall we say, retail Marcom's tech space um, with that product. Incredible. Oh, no. Congratulations, <laughs> you made it. The verified tech company. <laughs> no, um, so that's quite yeah. interesting because obviously we're coming at that from hopefully a sustainable sort of progression, development and growth. So it's not sort of chuck multiple millions at it and hope it sticks. It's very much we're looking at how soon can it wash its face? How, how can we actually make this work? So that's an interesting one. So I'm really looking forward to that journey. Um, and then we're at the start of rolling out across Transport for London even further. Um, so that's very wide reaching. So I think by the time we finished, it's about 2 billion passengers a year going past our machines. So, and just wow, everything else that sort of, it come, you know, that that sort of that opportunity but that ability to get in front and educate and trick and support people to make healthier choices um which is ultimately what we're all about is how do we make these healthier choices easy and accessible because then ultimately then we can go and look at how do we work with lower economic group, um, groups of people and communities and how can we do health, you know, really pioneer health equity, which is ultimately want to do, what we want to do, is how do you make healthy food affordable and accessible um, and wide reaching? So that's that's sort of we're starting to see the glimmer of, you know, once you've obviously got all of these things in place and you're progressing and building on that very much a high growth revenue for the next five years, we've we've sort of set those goals. So um Profitable, strong EBITDA, and um, some really clear benchmarks. So, yeah, it's 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 exciting. It's it's like I'm really really so exciting. like 
bouncy ready so to go sorry. sort wow. of thing it's like yeah everything that has been i can imagine a struggle those those challenges have fed into creating that foundation and the springboard into what we are so that now i think particularly with the education thing that i did last year i've got real clear metrics of three months six months nine months and really adopting that agile methodology across the entire business um that's mm. sort of key to where we where we want to where we want to be so yeah looking forward to it Sounds like a sounds like a super exciting journey, and and sounds like a lot of challenges coming up. But you're approaching it with uh, with a lot of positivity and optimism, and a lot of planning in advance, which is very important too. Um, but, but yeah, it's um, it must be really interesting, and I think expanding the team is usually a big challenge that people come across. And I was having a chat with a <clears throat> someone actually I only met recently. I was introduced to him by by somebody else, and he was talking about how you know that that in his experience, that's kind of what tends to make to, it has a big, big role to play in what makes or breaks uh, a startup or what, what makes a startup become a unicorn or an IPO or, or not. It's just about all about building out that team and, and embedding that culture in from the start, right? So that's going to be a really fun journey, I'd imagine, for you. And I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward to it. Um, but also some of these goals and some of these things just sound so exciting because you've been at this for so many years now. You've been doing this for a while. Um, but you've been revenue making, which is very exciting. So, so that's all, always a good thing because, you know, a lot of startups struggle with that part. And so the fact that you've, you've reached that, but you've, you've making healthy revenue, that's very good. Uh, and then working toward profitability at, at this point, is just, you know, and, and you're still talking series A, that's, that's incredible. I think uh, it's probably a needs nice must, sort of like going to back in, to, so. I was saying as far as the founders sort of the, sort of the investor story, we were comfortable or we presented Mm. a conflicted opportunity that was, you know, if you imagine under a sort of um, VC lens, they get so many presentations, so many decks through that actually the ones that fit the mold are obviously the ones that get the funding the easiest. And the feedback that we kept getting was your logistics stroke this, your health stroke that, your B2B stroke B2C. Um, And initial feedback was sort of well you're too you're spread too thin in our eyes and the way i'd even from day one i remember our vision being enabling healthier choices that was that was the sort of key strap line should we say the motivator so every time i looked at an opportunity did it fit that didn't it fit that if it did then we ran with it but that meant that in the funding environment we were ch- we were not cookie cutter startup you know and i i always remember people saying you know fail fast fail cheap do this do that it didn't work so we had to be revenue generating and no mm. we're not profitable we've got mm. close we reduced our losses last year by about 35% so that was really really pro- strong we should be profitable That's next good. year Really um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's, that's what I mean is that you're working toward that profitability. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of businesses leave it till much, much later. So, so. But it's just it's just important yeah. for me. It's important it's that really you're actually cool. a, shall we say, a, a revenue and profit driven business because in ultimately, again, coming back to that sort of the circular economy, the only time you're going to be able to do good is if you've got decent profits. Because otherwise, it should be fed back into the business yeah. to really make sure that you are 
not putting anything at risk you've got to have that risk mindset all the time like can anything damage my ultimate goal of what i'm trying to achieve if you're not profitable that's that's a risk now it may not be in the grand scale of shall we say yeah all these tech stories where how long did it take airbnb or google or anybody else to get but it's different but but that's a different story and and there are a million failed startups for for every one startup that's amazing and has made it like exactly or amazon or google there are millions that have failed so it's it's a you know, to, to just look at those and think, oh, yeah, sure, well, we can be the next Amazon. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe you can be the next Google, maybe you can be the next um, Netflix, aim high, definitely work hard to get there. Um, but at the same time, if you're putting all your bets exactly. on that, that's And I also think what's really interesting, I saw right? a picture the other so, day, it was a visual on LinkedIn, and it was um, when they were first founding Amazon. And you've probably seen it because I've seen it circulate so mm. often, but it was, yeah, the, the state of the office. Well, the but office. I think we've got, yeah, we've kind of, oh. sorry? Made from doors, right? Desks yeah. were made from, desks <laughs> were made from doors. It was it was that, we've right? done yeah. that whole social media <laughs> that, thing with yeah. startup world these days where we have to be in WeWork or we have to be in this glossy office yeah. with every benefit under the sun. But you don't. You have to work your so backside off. I remember our first Christmas season with hampers and boxes. I was the, in the warehouse space that we had in warehouse being the um, being a pretty much it was this the garage tiny, at the back tiny in little a... room <laughs> yeah. that we had an office and it was this tiny little room that they had spare. It was like this sort of community workplace. It was so small that I couldn't actually get anybody to help me pack the boxes. So the products had come in, I would pack them, and then I'd pile them in the hallway outside. And I had this most amazing Royal Mail guy, local, who would literally come up three times a day, pick them up for me, (laughs) and take them in. But, you know, it's like, I'll never forget that that he did, this little post guy. It was amazing. But don't underestimate those small beginnings that you go through because I think too often we just go, yay, startup, loads of VC money, let's have everything glossy, let's look like a Google campus on day one. When in actual fact, what you fail to recognize is every single one of those people that we look up to now have been through that, shall we say, ugly stage. And we, we seem to forget all of that very quickly. Absolutely. We're trying, I, I, mean, I think the, there's a little bit of that social media sort of picture perfect, life is brilliant, that we don't actually want to share the, the dirt and the grime and the, the graft and the ugly offices that have to go before that if you're going to be a sustainable business. Because right. I, I would argue that if you go in and make sure everything's glam and perfect on day one, you're probably not going to be in business for very long because you're probably too much on visual rather than, What's the heartbeat of the business? What are you actually changing and doing? And what's your purpose and reason for being? Because that's what's going to make you successful. It's so true. And there is something to be said as well about the kind of people that you'll attract with different environments. Um, if you are if you're very kind of mission-driven and you're in a crappy office somewhere or... Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying do it on purpose, but I'm saying that if that is happens to be the case and, and you're in that kind of early stages, 
and you've still got people who are really keen to help and get involved with that, that probably means they're there because they genuinely want to do this and they believe in you and they're, you yeah. know, they're there for it. But then they're not there for the glam. Let's put it that way. They're there because they actually want to get this thing on the ground properly. So, yeah. Love it. Um, Sarah, we've been talking for a couple of hours. I absolutely love it. I feel like we could go on for a while, for, for quite a while. So, you know, um, I say this to, to the amazing guests we've had in the past as well. Uh, I'm a big believer in having conversations as things grow and develop. So absolutely. I'm sure we'll have more conversations in, in the future as well. Um, but so inspiring to hear the journey that you've been through um, from the start of, you know, working on a farm and with seeing that yeah, not, not working on the farm, sorry, but working with the with the farm, doing doing the branding and the marketing. That's a bit that that's too inspiring. Uh, working with 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 the farm um, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa as a marketing uh, branding element, sort of thing, and, and helping them with that. But it's just the fact that you saw that kind of environment from the ground up. That's just really interesting. And then you're bringing a lot of these values and a lot of these communal values and the journey you've been through. And why you started what you're doing now, I think the whole story has been has been really, really interesting and must have been quite the ride with a lot Absolutely. of ups and downs yeah. for you. And I'm sure plenty more to come as well. Um, but it's all exciting stuff. Yep. So Healthy Nibbles is where people should go, right? If they want to find out more about this and if they want to, if they want to uh, use your incredible products. You mentioned that you do boxes as well now. Um, so thank, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the, the free box. <laughs> <Some new guess. laughs> uh, <laughs> but you, you do do boxes. Uh, and everything um we actually we actually will use you um uh, so we, we, at our company you know for the next uh, the next thing that we have where we'll give some gifts to uh, our staff yeah. uh, i don't see any reason why we shouldn't use some health yeah. nibbles i think that sounds like a great idea so um so yeah is there anything else that you want to mention any anything exciting that you want to share as well as we kind Gosh, of uh, so come, come um... to a close yeah, we've talked about a lot. I think we've talked about a lot already, honestly. And there's a lot of exciting stuff already. Anyone, so. Just stay authentic is is my sort of you know, continual learning, stay authentic and hard work and it does pay off. It, and it doesn't always pay off in the way that you expect it to do either. So be adaptable, agile. <laughs> That's a, yeah, all wow. little lessons, but they're all little nuggets that you learn as you go along and some things you can adopt. Um don't be pressurized by what everybody else is doing. The I've raised 50 million in two weeks. Yeah, right. Probably not. Or the grandparents with a fund or something. I don't know. Um, you know, just, I think, be fair mm. on yourself and be true to yourself, ultimately, and have a purpose for what you're doing. That's probably, yeah. I could, yeah, just give you lots of little nuggets. Um, but I think they all sort of form into get- that that whole I think sort of a, journey and experience yeah. and just that lifelong learning because it doesn't stop absolutely i think it's a really positive thing to end on as well i think stay authentic that that's that's a really powerful powerful thing um easier said easier said than done sometimes maybe the uh, age but, thing but helps because then you just powerful. get all oh, it. i don't and, care what um, you think about me i just yeah. want to be you know we we've got this um, we redid our values yeah. and last year and one thing that came out was that we wanted to create an environment that welcomed a workforce that was reflective of humanity and it sounds ridiculously grand but it was really around that the total yeah. difference of okay. emotional and intellectual social cultural differences that come from having a wide range of people working with you 
across the board. And I think it's really, it's, that is something that has brought or has come with me from Kenya. Because one thing that I did find in Kenya, it's like a melting pot for the UN. So you get so many different cultures. Um, okay. And when I came over here, I found it quite magnolia for want of a better word, as in you didn't really get to engage because there were cultures, there were, you know, different different communities from different places in the world or different beliefs, but they all stay so isolated because nobody Absolutely. really wants to offend in what they say um, or to upset, shall we say, whatever mm. status quo is going. And I thought, this is absolutely ridiculous because I got so much value. One of our first friends in, in Kenya was Indian and just being exposed to their culture that I'd never experienced before. And the different religion that they had and the different everything. It was just, they were so welcoming and so embracing uh, it, in terms of learning from each other. It was just so re really, really good. But I think it works on that whole how that feeds into that experience feeds yeah. into now is the diversity and inclusion element that actually we've got so much to learn yeah. from people from all over the world in all sorts of groups, whether you are, um, Absolutely. you know, different religions, different food cultures, different country cultures, all of those different things. It's like this melting pot of community. And I think we just need to be a bit more open to all of that and looking at what, you know, learn from each other and have that safe place. So that is something we're interviewing when we're interviewing. It's like we're interviewing based on your values. You need to come here and you can have a healthy conflict. You can disagree with one another. You don't spit your dummy out when that's happened. You just dust yourself yeah, off and you go your... You know, you continue with the work that you're doing, but you realize that you don't necessarily agree with somebody else's viewpoint, but it's just their viewpoint. That's it. It doesn't affect your life. It's just some, something else to learn from and that we are absolutely a safe environment and a safe place to work. And I think that for me is probably one of my, my newer elements and focuses in the business as we sort of actively start that recruitment journey is that nobody is above, better, below, whatever, that whatever preferences, religion, culture that you come from, it's all welcome and we want open and safe dialogue and that's how we're going to be relevant to our customer base because they're all different. Yeah. Wow, that's so powerful. Um, it's not often that you get the conversation around this being that we're allowed to be different and have different discussions and different points of views and that'd be okay with everyone. I sense and I feel like the attempt in being diverse and inclusive nowadays is a lot of... Yeah, to make everyone safe. It's safe. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I, and I really struggle with that because we're, we're so different as cultures, as humans. I've, I've grown up across two very different sets of cultures um, and I've have got friends from all over the world, from different cultures altogether, and you know we're gonna disagree on yeah. things. That's okay. I, I don't I don't see a problem with that. You know, um, that's so it's really incredible. Um, I, I think there's a lot that we can all learn from that. Um, I sure will be picking your brain around that a little bit as well, and learning more about how you're actually attempting to do that because that's. That's quite a, it's quite a tough thing to, to do, yeah. I, I feel like, or a tough thing to foster in a team 
but very, very. But I feel very like we're a live experiment, uh, to be honest. Done, it's so, sort of. So yeah. I've seen internal bullying, and we've we've experienced that in the past. Um, I've had days where I've thought this is not a safe mm. environment that I want to be involved in, and it's your own company, so that's a massive red flag, obviously. <laughs> um, and we're. At, yeah. Pushing it to the limit, though you're trying, yeah, trying hard think to, 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 to where yeah, we are experiment. now. The people that created those issues are no longer with us because they didn't obviously align to the values overall. Yeah, of course. But now I, I couldn't be prouder of the group of people that I'm working with. It's just, and it's so, it's it is a small team, and there is only six of us. But I think if we can, the values component of that initial engagement of interviews and interact interaction is really forming a focus of I put a play a lot more attention to you know what would you do if this person was diametrically opposed to your viewpoint um you know how how would you handle it how would you create that safe environment what values are important to you because ultimately if we are all committed in creating a safe environment then and work on that cultural differences, then I think slowly it will emerge into what is hopefully a very strong and stable culture for the business. And that will take the business on its journey as well. It'll be a, it'll be a core component. It'll be something that competitors can't replicate as easy. It'll be so, so it'll be a unique point of difference to what we're creating because everybody's of that same mindset, but definitely a live experiment at the moment. So not done. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely and and it's really important that you mentioned it, everybody's of that same yeah, mindset it's very not different. on the same views right but yeah, yeah. D- different views different way of doing things but same mindset and that's and that's a key thing incredible um inspired by that i will go away and try to incorporate some of those things uh myself in my no, life as well generally time. um thank you so much sarah for being here with us yeah likewise conversation I really enjoyed it. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to speaking again soon. Thank you. I'm glad you did. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep Super. you posted with anything else and, uh, and we'll go from there. We hope that you liked the episode. This podcast was sponsored by QFind, a hiring platform that matches candidates with jobs and employers based on many factors that ensure longer term alignment. It goes way beyond package and salaries and take into account much, much more than that to ensure a happy, Uh, working environment for everybody to find out more about this podcast and to see further releases we'll be announcing them at the at qfinds.io instagram page as well as on the qfinds.io website as well as from my own personal uh, instagram page and my own personal linkedin all information you need that we spoke about in the podcast or this information mentioned here will be mentioned below in the description So take a look, visit those links, and if you like anything or want to get in touch, uh, please do. And lastly, stay tuned for more. Have an amazing week ahead of you.